We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's so much to talk about with your Cleveland Browns that we have a long episode here with myself and Andrew Spade to go through everything we learned from Berea practice, the situation with Deshaun Watson, the injury report getting released for both sides, some interesting stats, Jim Schwartz versus Kyle Shanahan, and obviously the underlying Kyle Shanahan, Cleveland Browns dynamic, a part of it as well. Then we take a break, come back, you're going to get some mailbag questions a little later in the week than you're accustomed to, but a lot of good topics covered here. Excited for this podcast, a really great start to your 49ers, Browns coverage, all of it and more on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. What's up, everybody? Welcome into today's show. It's myself. It's Andrew Spade. We are not going to have Jordan Zerm. He has to do some goofy baseball coverage. I mean, come on, man. Sporting news. You guys cover baseball. Still can't believe it, Andrew. We're missing Jordan, but we are going to do some of our usual stuff. We actually missed the mailbag yesterday, so we're going to have a little bit of a mailbag hybrid with some 49ers week updates and conversation built into the mailbag about how we think the Browns should attack them, so on and so forth, uh, with some interesting stats. So, Andrew, what's up, man? Welcome in. And glad to have you. It's great to be here, Jake. I am uh, shocked and chagrined that uh, to learn that baseball is even a consideration for anybody in in the year 2023. I think I, my my mind was kind of made up once the Guardians, you know, fell out of contention in early September that uh, baseball was not happening for the rest of the year. So dismayed that uh, it, it seems to still be taking place. Stock down. Jordan Zerm, I hope you're listening. Stock down. We'll let you try to make it up to us next week. And we'll get, um, since we did, I think, Andrew, you and I actually did a little more around the NFL from last week. So we don't really need to dive too deep into that. Yeah. And as usual, we'll get into more of our around the NFL looking at the gambling lines a little later. So we're going to stay pretty focused because this is an important time for the Browns uh, internally, as we know. So there's a, a bevy of things I want to hit on. The first being Deshaun Watson didn't meet with the media today. Just was told he's not going to talk. And didn't get anything. I mean, I think we got some DTR. I think we might get some Walker. Did we, did we get uh, sorry PJ Walker today, or, or just DTR? Yeah, they they were able to corner DTR at his locker, but um, mm. they're not. There's not going to be an official media session for a quarterback this week. Apparently, it's interesting that you just wouldn't talk, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't even want to continue to go down this path that we I feel like have been going yeah. down for three weeks now, but to not face the media because what are you thinking? Like, they're just going to ask about my arm and why I didn't like the, 
the question is, Andrew, he's do you feel he's obligated to answer those questions? Or is there like, what would be stopping you from answering those questions? Yeah. I don't understand what stops the group from saying, hey, he has like this is leaked. He's got a rotator cuff bruise. I don't know when I'll be able to go. I'm trying. Like, I don't know why you would evade this situation. What, what, what's so plex like yeah. flexing about that? The technicality of it. So like there is a there's an NFL um, requirement that your quarterback has to speak to the media every week. That's that's part of their media obligations. But if the quarterback is injured, they can circumvent that. And I think because Watson's injured and it's not clear if he's going to play, they're able to avoid the media obligation. I believe that's the way that he can get out of it, which is, I know that's not exactly what you asked, but uh, I think that part of it is interesting too, because as soon as they have the ability to pull him from his media obligation, there he goes, you know? And so to your point, what's the benefit or what, you know, what's he trying to avoid? I think specifically the questions are going to be about you, you know, you said directly to Mary Kay Cabot that you were going to play last Friday or, you know, two Fridays ago now, and then you didn't, what happened, you know, what's going on with your shoulder. And I think it was also interesting that in Stefanski's press conference, he said, this is the last update I'm going to give on this, or this is the, you know, for this week, this is the last we're going to talk about. This was essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but that I'll, I'll look up what he said, but it was something like that. And that to me, you know, indicates that they, feel Jake through this whole thing that they do not have any sort of a duty or an obligation to give any sort of information about this stuff to the media and and they resent having to do even the amount of conversation that they've done about it and I don't understand that mindset they're getting killed now from multiple areas of Cleveland media about this it's not helping it's hurting and I don't understand you know it, I, I guess the th what I Andrew, it doesn't even yeah. make sense why he couldn't still answer that. Question. That's what I mean. Hey, Mary Kay, you asked me on Friday. I felt like some progress was being made. I went out there Sunday and it didn't feel right. I couldn't drive the foot. Would you guys prefer me to go out there and not be able to throw 30 yards? Like that's a simple, I, I don't think any of this, that's the thing that's so confusing. None of this seems hard to answer to me. Right. It's really There's no not. gotcha questions. So, yeah. Yeah, the hiding behind it is so strange. I got a message today from a username on the OBR, and, and I hope he's okay with me reading this because I think it's a really insightful piece of information. Uh, his username's D Scull. He does a, a nice job. He's a great OBR member. And he said um, he wanted to, to kind of enlighten us a little bit on a rotator cuff bruise. So he is a local guy here where I live. He's a, he's a Browns fan since the 80s and uh, knows all about this stuff. He's a doctor locally, so he's got a feel for the, the vibe around rotator cuff injury. So he said a rotator cuff's actually four muscles. I'm not even going to try to read the muscles, Andrew. Embarrass myself. Going to skip those. But they serve a few functions, including rotating the shoulder joint, and the really relevant function in the sports context is that they help you slow the arm down at the end of a throwing motion. So it's not the throw, the whip. It's slowing it down, gotcha. right? Gotcha. The torque being whipped through, then the slowdown process. He says the nervous system will limit throwing velocity based on what can be slowed down at the end, which is fascinating to me. I've never really known it to be that way, right? Yeah. I would think that the actual right. – the, the arm being pulled and whipped through would be the painful part, but it is more so the the brain and, and everything telling itself that there, there's not going to be an ability to slow that down. So he said that's why Watson couldn't throw longer distances in the morning before the Ravens game. His rotator cuff wasn't able to generate the force to finish a faster throwing motion safely, or at least he couldn't without significant pain. So 
there you go. That's a piece of information. So I wanted to share that with you guys. I'm not sure that it was perfectly slid in with the context, but um, I, again, to my general point here, him missing the game, not a problem. I get it. Right. It's it's been the delivery of the message up to the point internally and clearly confusion internally yep. about this. It's like if you guys talk to a doctor, and again, I, I this is one take. There could be other takes mm-hmm. about this. I think there would have been an idea here that, hey, there's a chance this guy can't play. Like yep. he, he can't play based on the identification of this injury. So like if that's the case, it makes it even more weird to not have a plan, mm-hmm. right, for for the next quarterback in line and have a like if you're sitting in the team room and having conversations about this as a staff, hey, it's like if if it's below 75% Watson's going to play, then you know, you, and again, you can't take a player's word for it. Right. They don't know. Right. They don't have experience with this. They're just going to try to gladiator their way through it. It's the NFL way, yeah, right? He's done that before. So he has done it before. So, like, the weird thing is the lack of awareness there and then the and then the almost uh, arrogance, annoyance, and having to still deal with the conversation yeah. through this point where, again, like last week, Kevin said, I think he's going to play. Right. <laughs> Like he when asked about, is he going to play the San Francisco? Yeah, I do. Again, whatever it, it's a matter of like, some of you might be listening to this saying they don't owe us that information. I personally think they do. That's just a difference of opinion. I, I don't think there's, and like you said, Andrew, it's not a gotcha no. thing here at all. It's more of a, we just want to understand and be enlightened about what's going on with the most important part of the franchise and you guys running from it and at times being disconnected in messaging yeah. is just very weird. And you, the last thing you guys want to put on as an affront is this disconnected and weird vibe. And they've accomplished that times a thousand, man. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a confusing. Time no, I, I think with this, I think the, the, you know, that piece of medical information. And I think Mary Kay Cabot, you know, tweeted something out where she had talked to a, a, a doctor as well. And it was like two to six weeks of recovery. If you combine that information, you know, like you said, they have access to medical professionals of every stripe, right? So pretty good ones, I would hope. Exactly. So, so, so now think about what we've heard from the team, right? That there was unflappable confidence all the way through the Baltimore week that he was going to play. And then they, they, so they were, they screwed that up completely, right? Because they didn't have a a plan for the, the rookie quarterback. He got fed to the wolves. It was, it was a disaster. Then post game and the next day, Stefanski has a chance to to take a step back and say, you know, I maybe I overspoke and and oversold this, and so I guess we'll wait and see what it looks like in two weeks for San Francisco. But he didn't. He again was like, yeah, he'll be he'll be available. We expect him to be available against San Francisco. So he did that, and then Andrew Barry doubled down on that last Wednesday, and he said he thought Watson would play for San Francisco. And here we are now, the Wednesday before the San Francisco game, and it seems pretty obvious that he's not going to play. So they've been wrong on this, Jake, like four times in the course of two weeks. Or or not or not just wrong, deliberately wrong right. in a way that right. they think helps them exactly. in some way. Right. Which is really like in what way does it I could tell you that the 49ers don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care, man. They're gonna do their thing. I just like I just think it's kind of weird. It's clear that they didn't have a plan prepped, and that's been confirmed right. for the last game. This game, if you're trying to be deliberately deceiving it's like i don't think other teams care very much man like they're not going to adjust their gameplay it's not like you're going from kirk cousins you know rg3 to kirk cousins you're going from like 
similar play style quarterbacks in terms of all three of these guys, right? With the ability to run a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, they didn't use DTR in any sort of running capacity, but all of that stuff is in play. So it's not like you have to totally change your thought process around these. I don't know, man, yeah. and all of it's strange. And we've, we've talked about it more than I think is necessary. Oh, absolutely. And again, like, I don't want the, you guys listening to think that we're trying to aha the Browns no. when we're not, we're just like, why it's like it's like telling a white lie like why did you feel the need to lie about eating what was in the fridge like why, mm -hmm. why did you do like it's very it's just very like like you, you throw your eyebrows a little bit at it because is there is this a part of some bigger dysfunction within and again that's a lot of conjecture there yeah. but like you start to see the breadcrumbs of the weird stuff that happens there right i don't well, i don't I, know yeah man. they so, they keep they keep being wrong either intentionally or unintentionally either way it's not instilling confidence right and then today, oh. I just want to read this quote, right? On to Sean Watson. He's not going to practice today. He continues to be day-to-day -day with his injury and will continue to treat it. And that's really, I'm not going to have updates past today. That's what Kevin Stefanski said today. So Right on. Good stuff. I, I, <laughs> they seem afraid Annoyed. of talking about this. And I can't yeah. think of a reason why. And so until they stop being wrong and acting like they're scared of talking about it, I will be very, I will continue to be paying attention to this and giving this, you know, scrutiny because they're not treating it the way other teams treat injuries. Go, go, go around the NFL. Other teams don't do this stuff. And it's it, for it to be going on for two weeks now is it's just absurd. So I, I know we need to move on. We need to talk about other things, but it's the phrase making a, a mountain out of a molehill was made for this entire situation. It's not like I would even be mad if they're like, yeah, we don't think he can play this week because I can understand that again, because maybe you're trying to save him for some games, right? Get him a hundred percent, right? It's the for sensible thing games. to do. It is the sensible thing to do, but they're just being so weird about it. And the reason I think you and I are heightened to the weirdness is we have tracked this since the summer where teams are deliberately in news delivery being like, they think he's going to be out a couple weeks. Right. In the, and again, I, I think I hit on this like over the weekend with you where like Jalen Ramsey was the thing. Jalen Ramsey gets hurt at camp mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like he's going to be out in two weeks. Well, he could be out till midseason. They think he's got a partial something or another. And it's like, oh, OK, well, that's right. getting worse every time someone updates it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I fear is going on here yes. where it just keeps getting worse. And all of a sudden they have to shut him down. And you could be like, OK, you guys are getting out of, you know, you're ridiculous. Why are we ridiculous right. in this belief where it can't like I just don't until we have some we haven't seen him throwing the only time we've seen him throwing in what three weeks now is when we got a, like a brief glimpse of him on a Thursday or Friday practice where he couldn't he threw like a, remember the Tim Tebow video yeah. where they threw that ball and it was such the funniest thing in the world because the cameraman just follows the ball sputtering. It was a plus uh, coverage of, of, of practice, but it was the same thing where Watson just kind of like flips a ball. Like, like, you know, it's, it's a half speed warm up scenario and, the, and the, he can't even throw it far enough out there for the running back at half speed. He has to wait on it. So I don't know. Our <laughs> hands are up. I'm literally putting my hands up we're, and saying, yeah, I don't shrugging. know, but what are we supposed to think guys? So, um, I think I'm at like 10%. I, I'm not even might be high that he's going to play this weekend. You might be at zero. Are you at zero? I'm at like 10%. I mean, I think there's a, there's always a chance, but it just there's nothing that has happened over the course of this week that gives you any confidence that he's going to be back. I mean, I just don't think, yeah. and, and to your point, 
you put him out there against San Francisco and he takes another whack, he's gone for half the season. You know, you, the, they have to be looking at this. I, I mean, there's no way they're not as pragmatic about this as we are, right? That, that they're going to struggle to beat the 49ers even with a healthy Watson. You get him right, and then you bring Just him back. Just say that. Right. Uh, no, say, of hey, course. We're not trying to rush him. No, I've not heard one person say, we view this as a multi-week injury, and we're trying not to rush no, his recovery. That's exactly They've right. They've never said that. Not once. That's, that's the weirdest yeah. part. Anyway, next is the rest of the injury report. We should hit on that. Before we do, a guy who's on that injury report, we finally got to see. We've had really – he wore the mask into the game, did David Njoku. Yeah. And then he was on the field, and we, you know, you couldn't see very closely, and he looked normal. But then he posted a photo today, and boy, um, if you have not seen that photo, uh, it's on all over Brown's Twitter at this point. It's on David's Instagram. He took it himself. It's pretty jarring how how burnt his face is. And, um, you know, I, again, as you talk about this and think through possibilities of this, I'm wondering if this is you know, as he doesn't practice, you can see in the reflection of his sunglasses he's wearing, his wrist yeah. from his forearm to his wrist to his hand is covered. Um, the, the the thickness of the covering on that is clearly it's a burn um, issue is like, OK, could he play right away because it's not, you know, you're in pain all the time and it's just a matter of like it's not going to be worse when you're at the but does it get worse over the next few weeks as these things start to recover there's a stiffness to the skin and all of that i don't again i don't know he's still not practicing <laughs> so we're doing the same thing here but i'm telling you yeah. the way that face looks yeah, yeah, i yeah. don't know how he wears a helmet no i have no idea so it doesn't i don't again i don't yeah. i don't want you guys to i got you jake like me i don't know how does he play yeah. i don't I, I really don't know but maybe he will maybe he's fine maybe it's just the, the spots there don't get touched by a helmet and he's good to go but yeah. I don't think early indications on, on this are strong because they've said that he's not in a great spot right now. Like the team confirmed that it's week six so. for the Browns and in Jake's DMS, he's got an orthopedic surgeon and a burn specialist. Yeah. So yeah, we're having is. a ball folks. We're having a ball covering the Cleveland Browns this year. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, 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 this one I feel differently about just because he did gut it out two weeks ago and you know, yeah. deserves credit for, for the pain tolerance and, you know, then was very active in the game and, and, and had some meaningful plays. And so I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's, it's hard to speculate too much with this because I, I don't know the first thing about how, how bad those, you know, I don't know first to second to third degree burns. He, it looks pretty rough. And so, you know, I, I'm glad that he's okay because it looks, you know, what was shocking about that photo is that you realize this man was like, in serious danger of, you know, things being much worse than they are. I mean, he, yeah, it had to go up his arm and into his face. Exactly. Like there's no other, yeah, it's, and it's, there's yeah. no other thing to, there to, so to, to kind of walk away from that, so to speak, to be where he was able to play football two days later. I I'm just very fortunate that he's okay because it looks, you know, you hear these things reported and then you see it and it, it, you know, it's one of those things where a picture is worth more than a thousand words because it really hammers home. He, he was in, in grave danger and I'm glad that he's okay. Me too. Maybe a lesson learned. I hope to, so. To stop putting yourself in any position uh, as a, as a player on the, in the NFL in general, where you could have some accident happen. Like, Hey, somebody yeah. next to you could probably light that. Right. Or somebody could drive you around. Right. Um, you know, those, those things that keep happening yeah. to the Browns. Flex, that are self-inflicted. Flexigo Burris, somebody can hold your gun for you when you're in the nightclub. 
Exactly right. You'd hope that they can start to avoid those things. We'll see if that comes to fruition. Anyway, update us, Andrew, on the rest of the injury report if you can. I think you have that uh, readily available. It's it's a little longer on the Brown side than the 49er side, I think. Yeah. So uh, Joel Batonio is the other big name. Did not practice with a knee issue. Uh, and then I guess Miles Garrett did not practice with a foot issue. Stefanski characterized that one as precautionary, but he did not practice. It's not a rest. It's a it's a DNP. So so you've got yeah you've got Deshaun Watson, David Njoku, Miles Garrett, and Joel Batonio all not practicing. Amari Cooper got a rest day, but that's not you know injury related. And then they had two players limited. Jerome Ford showed up out of nowhere. I. I don't think that he was on any post-game injury notes, but he's got a knee issue and was limited. And then Ethan Posich is uh, currently with three injury designations, chest, knee, and foot. Uh, and so he's limited. So those those are the two limiteds. It's like hand, but, foot, and mouth. Yeah, uh, that, that one was – it's extensive. But he was back out there. He wasn't able to practice last week after the, uh, you know, after the game. Uh, on the 49ers side, Elijah Mitchell is the only um, – player that did not practice that is uh, for injury reasons. He's got a knee issue. Aaron Banks, the guard, is limited with a shoulder issue that he picked up actually in that game against the Cowboys. So that would be the other one to kind of keep an eye on. But he was able to practice on Wednesday, which, you know, makes you fairly optimistic for for his uh, status for Sunday. Yeah, I think the 49ers have battled some wide receivers being out recent games. I think Ayuk missed a game a couple games ago yep. or three. I can't remember. With a shoulder. I think it was the <laughs> – the Giants uh, game that he missed and Debo played well. Then Debo was beat up, but he seems to be back and healthy. So it's a, it's a really healthy 49ers team. So yeah, they're, add they're that very to the healthy. list of yeah list of things you're fighting uphill against. Uh, okay, so really one more thing before we take a break. Uh, it's just an interesting stat nugget that got put out there. This this guy's name is Jack Hammer, right? Uh, sweet name there. Uh, he is yep. the 49ers beat writer for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. There you go, California baby. Um, Kyle Shanahan, he said, has faced Jim Schwartz defense nine times. He's one and eight in those matchups, and his offense has scored over 20 points just once. As the Falcons OC in 2016, Shanahan's offense averaged 33.9 points through the first nine games. In game 10, they faced the Eagles with Schwartz as the D.C., and they held Atlanta to 15 points. It was the only time that season the Falcons didn't score at least 23. So there is some strong data, right, that, yeah. that supports Schwartz being able to handle Kyle. The other side of that, Andrew, is that this is Kyle Shanahan's first trip back to Cleveland. So he obviously left Cleveland in 14, goes to Atlanta in 15-16. The 49ers visit that year i cannot who did the 49ers fire i can't remember it was a bad 49ers team that came to cleveland the browns won then the browns went out there in 19 and now you see the 49ers coming to cleveland in 23 here so is it harbaugh um i don't know it It could have been yeah so that's it this is like he didn't come back with atlanta as the oc he didn't visit now the browns have visited san fran and they put it on cleveland but actually being back in the stadium the place that he wrote uh, you know, put a PowerPoint together to get out. I'm guaranteeing Andrew that it is going to be a gigantic piece of motivation. He's going to try his players are going to try to use it as motivation as well, right? It's the NFL and motivation is um a big part of things here. So yeah, I, I think that that's another element to it. The the history with Schwartz uh, will keep the 49ers and Kyle motivated and obviously 
Uh, the data supports it. But the question is, do you think that data matters, Andrew, I think is the most important thing. Is it so long ago backdating to, you know, backdating kind of here to 2016? I, th I think they've seen each other because, you, know, I, I, you know, Schwartz stuck with Philly through 18, I think, right? Or he actually was longer. I think he was there through 20. Yeah, 20. Yep. So there are probably more than just this little uh, piece of evidence he's talking about. But the 49ers scored 30 points in every game this year. So he's trying to maybe talk about an explosive, explosive version of Kyle's offense, but it's one and eight in the last nine times that they faced each other. So there is some hope the Browns can bottle up some of what the 49ers do, right? Yeah, I think there's, there's hope. I, I mean, I, I think I was a little skeptical just because I think the Ravens put some good stuff on tape. And I know that Kyle Shanahan is, uh, you know, uh, amongst his peers, a, a really good coach at, at finding the weaknesses of a, of a defense and exploiting them. Uh, but yeah, the, the trend is strong. Uh, I think that, that you know, there, there's plenty of talent on the Browns defense. And so if the scheme allows them to kind of be in those situations and dictate to the, to the other team, I think they can make things happen. The challenge is going to be the game script, right? Because I think the Browns probably could have handled the Ravens to a certain extent, but they have that interception that leads to a short field Lamar Jackson touchdown and pretty soon they're chasing the game. And with teams that are run past balance, like the Ravens and 49ers, if you're chasing the game, you're always going to be a little bit out of position defensively. And so the game script here is, is, is massive. They, they cannot spot the 49ers 10 points and then try and play from behind. So I think if if they can somehow get a lead and kind of try and dictate a little bit to the 49ers, they can have some success, definitely. But it's it's so dependent on how they manage the game. And I think that's why it's not about, you know, trying to take cheap shots at the coach, but the 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 plan not being tailored to the rookie quarterback and them kind of having to go out there and flail around put them in a situation where they they were not able to be competitive. They have to, regardless of who's a quarterback, they have to have a plan that allows them to stay in this game through the first half and, you know, come out in the second half with a chance to have it close. It's a home game, right? If you can be within hailing distance, within a score of the 49ers late, it's a, it's a road game for them. It's a one o'clock start. They just played Sunday night. Put the pressure on them. But if you let them get up by 10 points – and they can kind of sleepwalk through this thing, then that you know that's when the defense is going to start to look kind of like how they did against Baltimore. Good stuff. All right. Well, we have a question about that game plan coming up right after the break because I think it's an important question in my opinion. So um, a lot of elements to tie together with Shanahan revisiting Cleveland. I'm sure that's going to be a TV network storyline that'll be that'll be floated out there. But yeah, how Schwartz is able to. Uh, again, the the Browns' last game film, I am sure Kyle Shanahan is picking apart to solve what they can do in the run game because the Ravens put some very specific things with jet motion and gap exchange pressure on the Browns. So if they are going to be able to, to handle this one, they better be able to handle the motion and they better be able to handle some of what they're doing with Brock Purdy, which is putting him in positions against uh, what they are finding is predictable coverage. And the Browns play a lot of man. The Cowboys play a lot of man. And the Cowboys didn't handle that man cover stuff very well. And, and again, I think between Debo, between Ayuk, I think, and Kittle, obviously, if you get Kittle on the wrong person, they can they can really hurt you in man coverage stuff. So that's another element to be prepared for. Otherwise, listen, we got five good questions coming up right after the break. Quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals. And their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So, Andrew, my guess about the 49ers and 16 was going to be Jim Tom Sula. I was wrong. Tom Sula was 15. Yep. That was Harbaugh was done in 14. Tom Sula was 15, and that was a tragedy. It's Chip Kelly. <laughs> was the 2016 coach for so a single season. Did they have back-to-back single-season head coaches? They did. They Oof. went from Harbaugh to Tom Sula for a year, and that was, I think, Chip got fired from Philly. Yep. 
and then hired for a year yeah. in uh, San Francisco. And they went two and 14. So um, yeah. he was done too. Yeah. They went back to backs. And then since then it's been Kyle Shanahan and um, well, they're in a good place. That, you know, place. that story there kind of puts to rest some of these lazy narratives about not firing a coach, you know, because you don't want to have back to back one and done coaches because now all of a sudden they're a model franchise because they hit on a combination. And I remember that John Lynch hire being absolutely destroyed at the time he got, that got roasted because he was a, like a mediocre uh, color analyst for Fox. And then all of a sudden he was in the booth or I'm sorry, yeah. in, 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 in the front office for, for San Francisco. And, it's it's been pretty flawless. I, I I don't think that they've they certainly haven't been perfect, but I mean they don't get a ton of criticism. I think they mostly make moves that people really defend. Yeah, they do. Right. The the good thing is being able to miss on Trey Lance and have Purdy be somebody you yeah, can find in the last pick of the draft. That certainly helps because there's been some pressure around this Trey Lance situation and solving it. And if like this is how it's going to get solved, then right on. That's just how it goes for some places. Um, and really, that's an example of what you were thinking could be, and it's not out the window. DTR had a bad start. He could still figure it out, but that's why you, you draft some of these guys. Yep. And that's why I'd be interested Andrew. If like, you know, say the bears don't like Justin, are you, are they going to take any recovery projects, right? Like yeah. if the Justin Fields came available for like a fourth round pick in the off season or something like that, would they be interested in, you know, those guys can maybe figure it out down the line or they get paired with the right coach at the right time. And, um, that, that, that element of still seeking out some talent, if Watson doesn't sort of cement himself to be what he used to, to the fullest degree, will they be interested in doing that? That's a little off topic, but something that I think that is worth paying attention to, because you can see why, you know, why would the 49ers invest in another quarterback, right? Why would the Redskins invest in RG three and then invest in yep. Kirk cousins? You can never have too many of these guys. If you, you're just pulling lotto tickets, it's what you're doing. I mean, the lotto tickets are a little, the odds tilt better in your favor, the higher in the draft, but pulling the lotto tickets is not a problem. You should be doing that as often as you can, really. Yeah. So. One one last thing on Shanahan before we move on. Uh, I just saw this quote from him today uh, doing his press. He was asked about his one year with the Browns, and he said, uh, uh, I really liked living there, some good people, and it was cold. My car was always dirty because snow was on the ground a lot. Never melted, it seemed like, but I really enjoyed the stadium. I enjoyed the people, and it was just one year. Though it wasn't very long. That's he hates Jimmy Haslam so much. Yeah, so much. It is. There, there so might obvious. not be a ceiling on how many points they try and score. No, he hate he absolutely hates him because they were the the stories of them telling him not to pick Johnny and only to end up picking Johnny are so very out there. And it's like, yep. God, he can't stand it. Anyway, moving on questions we have here. So we have five one, uh, good ones. The first question is directed at PJ Walker's situation. He's been elevated, confirmed to be elevated to be the second quarterback. will start if Watson is unable to go. The question is confidence in a game plan, right? The, there's a two pronged question here. First is, you know, if the Browns didn't think this is the way it's phrased, if the Browns didn't think that Dorian Thompson Robinson could handle a very similar script to, to um, uh, Deshaun Watson, why wasn't PJ Walker prepared quicker? That's the first part of it. And is there a game plan around PJ Walker that can make you feel confident in winning this game? Cause I think it's fair, Andrew. He's he, he had, 
starting experience, right? I think the thing we have to remember, Watson didn't practice the whole week. The Browns were rehearsing a script. So even if Watson's not out there, it's not like, let me be very delicate with this and explain it. If the Browns didn't put in any other preparation for the Ravens other than what they thought Deshaun could run, if Deshaun's not out there practicing it, guess who's out there practicing it? Dorian is. He's taking all of those reps, right? So the question then is kind of framed around, should P.J. Walker have been the guy anyway instead of DTR or is this like they just couldn't figure it out roster situationally? You know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. I think I get what they're saying with the raw. Like, it's just like they couldn't let go of this quarterback because somebody else based on the preseason probably snatches him up, but he might not have been ready for that role. And it was a, just a failure in recognizing that quick enough. And then kind of like now the, the branch off of that is, do you think that – Walker is a guy they can formulate a game plan around to to score enough points to win. I think that they have a better chance because Walker has seen it in the NFL is not going to have the deer in the headlights thing that was very clearly happening to DTR a few times against the Ravens. Um, and and you know there was just there were some throws in that game against Baltimore that he's never going to make in an NFL game again because he knows now he can't do it. And PJ Walker has been through that experience already, so. You know, if you get a chance, you look at P.J. Walker's experience last year. He started six games for the – I'm sorry, five games for the Panthers uh, in relief of uh, one Baker Reagan Mayfield and uh, played well. Um, His record there for those games that he started, those five games, was two and three. He had a a very impressive performance against the Buccaneers at home. They won 21 to three. He was 16 of 22 – for 177 yards and two touchdowns. That's the, you know, the Buccaneers defense. He had a 94.9 PFF grade for that game. So he's got something, right? You don't, you don't just luck into one of those as an NFL player. Um, I, if I go out there next week, I'm not lucking into a 94 grade on, on PFF. So he's got something to him. And, uh, you know, he put up some very impressive numbers in another game that they lost that, I remember this game very well. This uh, It was a 37-34 loss in Atlanta. Uh, he was 19 of 36 for 317 yards with a touchdown and an interception. So he can throw the ball around a little bit. And I think the difference maybe between him and DTR is that he knows what he can and can't do, and DTR doesn't. And so I think to the extent that the game plan protects him early, you know, as I said before, keeps the Browns competitive, then if they can be in it late, Maybe that's where Walker, as he grows into the game, can make a few throws, can get out and create a little bit. I, I remember from those games that he, he played last year that he was very good at extending plays and then and then launching one deep. Very similar to Deshaun Watson. So if he can do that even once against the 49ers, it puts the Browns in such a better position than where they were against the Ravens. Yeah, I, I don't think DTR was having those hiccups in practice the way we saw in the game. You get out there in front of 65,000 people and you 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 know you hit your first throw, you get a little bit of confidence and you think that you can make any throw in the, in the playbook, right? I, I do think there was a massive deer in headlights moment, again, like you mentioned, and I don't think the Browns saw that in practice or if they did, I, I do think they would have been like, we can't try. I, I would imagine he's been relatively successful in practice to the point that 
they did feel like they could call those things and do those things. Now they learned a lesson and DTR probably has a lesson here that he'll carry through his career. But uh, I think that you can, to the, to the root of the other part of the question. Yeah. You can formulate something with PJ Walker that I think will uh, give you a chance. You have to run it in a, in a certainly a much better way than they've been running it. And the data around that is concerning, but uh, if they can run it a little bit, get the 49ers in very specific looks. We'll talk about this in just a minute. They have a chance, right? Got to run it, though. They can't have a 65-yard rushing day on 25 Correct. Carries. They cannot they be one-dimensional against the 49ers. They will eat their lunch if that's the case. Right. So, okay, let's move to the next one, which is, very simply put, uh, if Joel Batonio cannot go, and we don't have many positive vibes on that front either, who do you think steps in for him? Is there a Nick Harris step in? Is there? A, do you think they trust Michael Dunn? Um, I, I think they go Michael Dunn, Andrew, but uh, I don't think it's a, it's a huge lock here. Joel doesn't miss games, so this is a little weird. Uh, it will be weird if he does, seeing another left guard, but I think Dunn makes sense. We have seen Hudson move a little bit inside uh, late in camp, and, and, and that's something to monitor, but I think you would trust Michael Dunn the most there. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think he, you know, he, we all remember that game in 2020 against the Steelers in the playoffs that he played so well when Joel was out with uh, COVID. So I think it's, uh, I think it's done for sure. I'm, I'm just kind of reviewing the practice squad here to see who else, if they wanted to elevate somebody, they don't have a guard on the practice squad currently. So if they wanted to use Hudson, they would have to then elevate Ty Naseki and, uh, and, slide Hudson inside and keep Dunn as a backup. But I think Dunn makes the most sense. And then Luke Whipler probably is active, you know, as a backup guard as well as the other way they can get there. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of modify the roster. I, I, we didn't talk about this with the PGA Walker question, but I would expect that Walker probably gets added to the active roster because this will be his second elevation after the Baltimore game. There's three total and you got to imagine, you know, with the questions around Watson, they need to guarantee that Walker's on their team. So kind of waiting to see what that looks like. And so, they, yeah, there might be a few moves. Typically, these moves all happen on Saturday. So, you know, yeah. you're, you'll be in the middle of enjoying a day of college football, and then, uh, you know, you'll see an alert pop up from the OBR that uh, the Browns have made two or three moves. Yeah, they will probably end up letting go of, in my opinion, would be a DB, a guy who's not being active, right? Like, Yeah, um, Hickman or Halasi. Halasi would be the logical one there. Maybe they can get him back to the practice squad. I don't mm-hmm. know, but... Yeah, they have to. They have to protect it. If this guy's going to potentially be playing multiple weeks for you, you have to get him to the roster. So uh, we'll see how they go about doing that. And you're right. It'll happen Saturday right in the middle of a huge play in the uh, Ohio State-Purdue game on Peacock. Make sure you go get Peacock. (laughs) Seven-day trial. Uh, We'll talk about that later this week. Um, Next question around the roster shaping, too. Do you think Siaka Ika will be active for any games this year, right? A very important draft pick for the Browns of their first picks. And really, we haven't seen anything from Tillman either I'm I mean Mm -hmm. I didn't think Tillman was going to have this role that some people thought I guess we should hit on this too so I saw something today that tracks back a little bit of the the wide receiver room disappointment in general and again I understand week one was rainy and I understand they started a rookie unprepared in week four but the left side of the 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 graph here is target uh, the total EPA when targeted and then the right side you know the x-axis here is yards per route run so at the very bottom, you don't want to be lower left, Andrew, on many of these graphs. Put it that way. And on the lower left, hanging out is Elijah Moore. Hanging out is Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then you say Cedric Tillman, 
who's had no role. Again, I thought his role would be less than what some people were dreaming about in the preseason and in camp, but it's, it's a bit jarring here um, with some of these rookies that it's not bad. I mean, listen, the defense is playing fine. Ika not getting out there. It's not a huge deal, but, uh, I guess the question is, and the, the the whole thing is, do you think he'll be active this week or in any future weeks? Teams like San Francisco, who do run the football more um, than than others, make some sense. Like, I don't think he's a a great fit for maybe some teams like Indy or uh, you know guys who are doing a little bit more spacing. But San Francisco is very very condensed. I don't know though. I mean, I think the defensive tackles are playing too well. I would imagine quite obviously he's first up for any kind of injury, but you know, the, the, the four guys here are playing too well to justify it right now, Andrew. And I don't think that's necessary an indictment on Siaki so much um, that I think there are four talented guys and Jordan Elliott's been better. He's not been great, but he's been, he's been a little bit better. So uh, I think he'll get active at some point, but I, I don't think there's some, you shouldn't be overwhelmingly concerned. I think, we all thought the rookies would be a little bit more involved, but uh, for the sake of the question here with Ika, I don't think it's like a giant concern. Whereas if with Tillman, if you're not getting anything from DPJ, which is a, a kind of direct competition, that's concerning, right? That Tillman wouldn't be able to get some of those opportunities. So um, worth noting, I think at least, right? Yeah, I think it makes sense that they had those guys not as involved through the first four weeks considering a lot of divisional opponents and the, you know, that none of those guys are first round picks that they, they didn't need their contributions right away. I'm curious how much of it changes now with the bye week because you've had these, these rookies now have had two months essentially, you know, or at least a month now where they've gone through the game week prep. And, and if they've shown something, you know, whether it's Tillman who's been active, but not contributing or Ika who has not been active for any of the games, if they show something, in practice that that gets sort of sets them apart that earns them a role i i think it's to your point they've really been fortunate so far with the defensive tackles that they haven't had to force a, a third round rookie into the rotation because the guys above have all been doing their job and staying healthy which is all you really want i think with tillman donovan peoples jones is in the final year of his contract I think it would be a mistake to, you know, expect him back. I, I think it would be, from the Browns' perspective, a mistake to bring him back considering the investment they've made in the wide receiver room elsewhere, assuming he wants a healthy contract. I mean, I guess the the flip side of that is maybe he is so uninvolved this year that his value essentially plummets because he's not catching the ball. But regardless, I, I, I think that Cedric Tillman is a third-round pick player with I think more promise we think long term and is going to certainly be involved in years to come in a way that Donovan Peoples-Jones is unlikely to considering he's a free agent so at some point this year you want to see what he can do I would hope that the bye week presents an opportunity for him to be a little bit more involved maybe they start doing more of a timeshare at x between DPJ and Tillman I think that would make sense but by the same token Tillman has to actually then show up in the games and make some plays so those are two players. I think it's worth mentioning Isaiah McGuire here. He's in the same boat as Ika, has not been able to get active. I think, well, he may have been active for one of those games if they had somebody else down with an injury, right? Because Alex Wright, maybe. Anyway, um, 
I I think for the defensive linemen that can afford to go slow, it's a luxury of the depth that they have. With Tillman, I'd like to see them push a little bit more. Okay, I like it. Very fair. Good answer. Nothing to add to that. Um, is there any uh, – this This is the fourth question. Is there any part of the Broncos' potential fire sale that you would be interested in? Well, of course. I'm always interested in a fire sale, right? Yeah. It's just the price they're asking for these things. Like That's the question. I would be, I would be fascinated if they would get like a Jalen Ramsey-type return on Patrick Sertan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they'd be interested in that. I don't know if that's – something that's possible but um a team that feels like they're one piece away uh could could go that route and um that's yeah, something heard, to monitor right go ahead i, I heard i heard somebody uh say sertan to the ravens would make a ton of sense it's i love terrifying. the ravens but also give up picks because i'm tired of the ravens having them and getting them right, right so often but, but sertan yeah. on the ravens would be I mean, him and Humphrey together yeah, with the safety scary. group that they have that there. Scary. No, thanks. That is uh, safeties and linebackers. That would be a really formidable defense. They'd certainly be all in. They have to get their wide receivers, though, to catch the football to be in any kind of uh, serious. They had no problem in Cleveland, ironically, catching it. But they visit they visit <laughs> Pittsburgh and just can't catch anything. Um, yeah, I mean, th- there's interest. Garrett Bowles would be interesting. But what what's that look like? Do they have even enough ammunition to draw that interest? I, I mean, like. Bowles as a tackle would be interesting. I mean, I don't think there's a need for anything wide receiver wise. Like I would imagine somebody they'd be interested in moving is Cortland Sutton, but I don't think he is going to be somebody the Browns are interested in because of so much replication. But, um, you know, it, it, is there the defensive uh, other defensive piece that they could be interested in? I don't know. You have anyone there, Andrew, that, that they'd be interested oh, in. Jake, don't be coy. You know, I do. Yeah, well, tell us. <laughs> uh, yeah, trying they, to tee it up for you. No, I Come appreciate on, it. They, they've got, they've got uh, yeah, now I'm being too coy. They've got a, <laughs> a, a pass rusher, Baron Browning, who's been out. He's on the pup list. Uh, he's a converted. He was a linebacker at Ohio State, right? But but he mm-hmm. converted in the NFL to a full-time edge rusher, and he was like a revelation last year as an edge rusher. So he would be somebody that you could bring in for this year, add one more piece to that pass rush, really push it, even one level further, you know, it's like the old uh, joke from uh, Spinal Tap, right? This thing goes to 11. That that would be the Browns pushing the pass rush to 11 to bring in somebody like that. And then he's he's around for one more year, you know, would probably cost about $3 million next year. So Zadarius Smith is, you know, maybe not back next year. You've got a little flexibility there. He's just mm-hmm. a, he's a special player who has uncovered something new talent-wise um, because of the the position change. And I think you can never have enough pass rushers. The Browns have kind of proved that this year. So it, I think, you know, to your point about cost, whether it's we're talking about Garrett Bowles or Baron Browning, the, the question is, what do they want? I think there's an opportunity for a deal here because I think George Payton is probably out the door. Sean Payton is going gonna, is gonna to push the GM out as part of this ongoing, you know, that's what Sean Payton does, right? And we've already seen a host of former saints making their way to Denver. Sean Payton is like the prototypical, I want my guys coach. He he does not, you know, he, he doesn't want to adapt to other players. He wants his guys. He, he brought in, I mean, all these role players, Adam Troutman, right? And this the wide receiver, uh, you know, a few wide receivers. He, he keeps collecting these guys that, that used to be in New Orleans. So, that to me says that some of the guys that are impending free agents, 
he probably won't resign. So they might be willing to just get anything for them on their way out the door. And that applies to both Garrett Bowles and then Baron Browning will be a free agent next year. So I think there might be deals to be had. And I would be disappointed if the Browns weren't in on a few. Like you said, it's a fire sale. It's like when you're driving down the street and you see a garage sale sign, but then everything in the garage sale in the yard is like, you know, old wood and antiques. And it's like, well, okay, this is, so this is like, this is an actual, this isn't, you know, piles of baby clothes or whatever. This is, this is the good stuff. So, you know, you got to pull over, you got to turn around, you come back and you hope you find a treasure. That's what the Browns got to do. Yeah. You got to ask, you got to ask because there's, there's some talent there. I don't know. I don't know why Denver would look to get rid of some of the younger, younger talent. I don't imagine they would, but sometimes I guess if a return is too good to pass up on, they, they probably can't, they need to stockpile picks for their future. So we'll see what happens with that. And then, Last question here um, pertain to the graph that I was talking about. A good question in the DMs about um, the 49ers and their and their explosive run rate issues. So the 49ers don't often run too high pre-snap, right? That's uh, the best defenses to run on are too high defenses because they don't have everything gapped out, right? You know, if you have a safety down in the box, you have what's called a gap out scenario where there's no run lane unopened. Now, Defenses are generally aware of where they're gapped out and have an idea of how to fit that up, but some teams can be exposed that way. So if you get teams in too high, always better to run against those looks, right? Pretty simple. So um, the interesting thing is the 49ers don't play much. They play a little bit more pre-snap too high than the Browns and the Cowboys, which is interesting because we just saw what the 49ers offense did to the Cowboys. We'll see what happens here with the Browns defense, but they don't play a ton, but when they do, they have by far the largest percentage of successful explosive runs, which I think is deemed as 12 yards or more. So if you can get the 49ers into too high, they're, they're way above, they're leading the NFL in this, which is not a good category, something like 65% explosive rush rate there. So if you can get them into too high, that's great. So maybe that's an uptick in Marquise Goodwin, guys who can run vertically, yep. making them feel like they need to play a lot of 11 personnel, stretch the field. I am uh, I'm not totally certain on that. We can we can we can see how they attack it. To me, it's a higher volume of wide receivers, less tight ends. So the Browns lived in 11 personnel against the Ravens. I think they would probably get into something similar, putting more speed on the field and then trying to take advantage of some stuff off of that, Andrew. That would be my guess. But it is something to highlight. Like, like I think the nugget of interest to me against the Ravens, I keep going back to that, but it was when you get the Ravens in base defense, they really struggled to cover the pass. The Browns, I didn't think, did enough to get them in base. Their EPA allowed in base three linebacker looks was really high. Browns didn't do enough to get them in that as often as you would like to see. So can the Browns get the 49ers into two high looks? That's how they can, you know, use the pass to actually set up maybe perhaps some successful runs. So something to note there, man. Yeah. And they've got to hit one, right? It's not, it's not enough to kind of run good when deep it's, you gotta, you gotta find one of the, you gotta find a way to connect on a 30, 40 yard throw and kind of put the fear of the pass in them. I mean, that's what we saw so much with Baltimore was, and, and frankly, in other games this year that Watson was playing that, by late in the game, the Browns' deep passing game is non-existent, so the safeties are playing 10 yards off, and and by the time he hits the top of his drop, everybody's blanketed because there's no fear. There's no space because nobody's playing off. And Yeah. You, I mean, the, the Browns, you know, I, I don't want to beat up 
Kevin Stefanski too much here, but I do, I just, you know, a lot of the issues with their offense are going to get masked be, because DTR plays and now PJ Walker is going to play the 49ers. And, you know, it's, it's likely those are going to be two ugly offensive games, you know, unless they kind of find a way to get this done. It And it's going to mask that some of those issues with the offense predated the two injury games, you know, and so the the pressure is really going to be on, you know, if I, I'm kind of mentally already moving on from the San Francisco game a little bit, just because yeah. it's such a tall task, right? Yep. You mentioned how much the Browns and Cowboys play similar defenses. Well, the 49ers just lit the Cowboys defense on fire on Sunday night. I mean, so yep. you start thinking a little bit about this game against the Colts and you just start really thinking that the pressure is going to be on both the defense to start delivering turnovers and explosive plays in addition to holding down the other offense, actually making plays of their own, and the offense to start to start to get right. And it would be great this week against San Francisco to start to see some of those ingredients come together. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. You, you know, the Browns have struggled pushing the ball over the top. They've been throwing it, mercifully throwing it to no avail. So maybe, you you know, finding some 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 space, right? You know, offenses talk about numbers. They talk about space, right? Getting to grass. They talk about this stuff all the time. I tried to highlight some things. I'm going to do this every Monday, looking around the NFL, just some schemes that I liked that I think that the Browns could do a simple implementation of. So I don't know, man, can they find some ways to get guys wide open? They need to, they need to find some of those answers. When you try to just, you know, nickel and dime a 49ers defense, they will play close to the line of scrimmage and they will make you uncomfortable. They're very willing to do that. So uh, getting them in too high, hitting a play or two over the top, you know, again, the Browns only have seven plays completed over 20 yards. That's again, I think the Bengals actually jumped up uh, on their side. They jumped up and have had um, based on their last performance there were where Jamar Chase went crazy, uh, pushed past the Browns. They're the only team below the Browns. So they have to get some of these things solved and it's listen, it'd be a good week to see it, but like you said, it's hard to sit here and, and put expectations on a game where PJ Walker is likely to be starting it because it's just it's difficult. It's difficult to win in the NFL, period. It's even more difficult. And although we don't believe this because we've seen too many times where the Browns have let a backup quarterback win, it is really hard for backup quarterbacks to win in the NFL. So that's just a it's a gigantic weight weighted vest sitting around this game, Andrew. And I think that that is uh, making this whole week even more challenging than it already is. Something I should have said earlier when we talked about PJ Walker, I do just want to give credit to the Browns for making this change from DTR to PJ Walker, because I think it was necessary. I think if, if, if they had announced today that, you know, DTR was going to be taking all the reps and being prepared to start as Watson continues to kind of rehab the shoulder, I think that would have sent a very different message. And I know that there's no guarantee that that Walker is going to perform better, but I I think it would have been really hard for the team psychologically to get up to play the 49ers in the same way with that, that rookie quarterback, just because of how, how tough things look for him against Baltimore and the 49ers have an even better defense than the Ravens. So it it was, it was going to be putting him in a really difficult position. So hats off to them for making this move. I don't think maybe they wanted to, I think they prefer their guy that they drafted but it's it's the smart thing to do, and it protects your rookie a little bit. I think it also protects the psychology of the team a little bit. And you know, I, I think to kind of put a bow on this, as we said a few times, I'm really, really leaning towards Watson not playing. And like I said, 
really starting to look at the the task ahead of them over the next few weeks with a, a two and three record, most likely, but some winnable games. And that's where they are. Yeah. I think that's where they're going to be. They've got a two game road trip coming up after this to Indianapolis to Seattle. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but yeah. they need to find a way to be at 500 or above when they start divisional play again against Baltimore in a few weeks. That's the task that they've had got ahead of themselves. And I think, it's, you know, it's, I, I'm saying all of this to say as much as the NFL is a week to week league right now with where they're at with the quarterback injury, looking at this San Francisco team, one of the better teams in the NFL, maybe the best. It's a tough task Sunday, but there's still a path to them being relevant this season, even as bad as it feels right now. Yeah, first of all, they can beat the 49ers. This podcast isn't telling you they can't. They can Definitely. find a way. I just want to echo that yeah. sentiment. No, and I appreciate and- you clearing that up. Yeah. I, I agree with, and I, you know, I, some of the conversation tilts into weird things. I'm, I wasn't mad that they lost to the Ravens. I, I think it's very understandable no. to lose to the Ravens. The, yeah. the surrounding noise of that game and the way they went about it was what was, you know, it was going to irk people, right? Even if yep. getting, and I'm not sitting here saying if they had a full week of game planning and they had very specific things they could put in for DTR, they would have won. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I didn't really like the way any of that was handled. And we're kind of doing the same thing this week where we also still, don't like the way things are being handled. It doesn't mean they can't win. It doesn't mean that if they lose, we are sitting here saying that the story of 2023 is written. Not the case. They can go win a lot of football games, especially if Watson takes the time to get healthy, actually healthy. And we actually learn a little bit about what it takes for him to get healthy. They have, like you said, Indy and Seattle and a lot of games that are that are much more negotiable and then going into hitting and playing their best football by the end of the season. That's what you want to do. Hit your stride midseason, play your best football by the end of the season. They can still do all of those things. And um, we want to make sure we're clear about that. They can still, with P.J. Walker, beat the 49ers. It would take the 49ers playing a C, C minus, D plus game. But that happens. It's the NFL. Everybody puts the pants on, the shoulder pads on, the helmet on the same way every Sunday. And it, the, the term is the name of a movie for a reason. It's a very popular term. Anybody can be anybody on any given Sunday. And the Browns will show up and try to do their best to do so. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast um, with myself and Andrew. We'll get with a... 49ers guest for behind enemy lines on Friday. And then Andrew and I will be back looking at lines, both college football and NFL and kind of previewing your Sunday football action, but it is going to move quickly. It'll be here before you know it. Um, so listen, thanks for stopping by this week. And really last week too, these are kind of the bye weeks a little rough because especially when you go into with a loss, because you can tilt negative and there's just a lot of things that you have to talk about a negative game. You have to talk about how you get it fixed coming out of the bye, and that tilts negative. We're going to try to stay even keeled, push forward and do the best we can to give you a positive outlook on a tough game but a more positive outlook like Andrew just closed here with around how the Browns can get this thing back on the right track and push forward into a really relevant middle to late portion of the season where they can push still for the division that is wide open um, because the Ravens went into Pittsburgh and lost and and had no business doing so and has left the, the door very cracked here. So a lot of things to look forward to. Tough game, but a lot of things to look forward to in the coming weeks. So for Andrew um, and myself, we appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for stopping by the OBR. As we always talk about greatest online Browns community, you will find $1 for your first month. And then lastly, we close with the ask and request to rate and review the podcast to help Browns fans find it. We appreciate you guys. Like I said, stopping by, have a fantastic Thursday and go Browns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.